And welcome to the podcast of tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 121, recorded on June 11th, 2019. Today, we will talk about the state of e-scooters in Europe, about what happened to subscription boxes, the phenomenon of the Pirate Bay, some event hacks, and much more. We have also prepared a pre-recorded interview with Caroline Ramad, uh, the founder and CEO of 50 in Tech. I am your host, Andre Degeler, reporting today from the glorious city of Groningen, which is now my home, joined by our research lead, Natalie Novik, from the sunny United States. Hey, Natalie, how are you doing? Hi, Andre. I'm doing well. Great to see you again. So how is life in your part of the world right now? Well, it's very early in the morning, but it is wonderful, and I'm really enjoying um, the start of summer out here. The weather has been perfect. You said there is snow around there. There is. I'm at a very high elevation um, here in Utah right now, and there's still a bit of snow, but really um, been enjoying that because in Scotland, where I am most of the time, it's been raining continually for the last two weeks and doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. So I'm very glad to have missed that. Yeah, snow, snow sounds like a great fun. So uh, let us talk about what has uh, happened uh, over the past uh, week in the European tech. And before we go to stories, uh, uh, you wanted to say something, right? Yeah, so this week, I just wanted to recognize and kind of highlight um, some of the contributions in our little European tech press world, uh, where John Kennedy, the editor-in-chief of Ireland's Silicon Republic, is stepping down this week after 17 years as editor of that publication. And I just wanted to kind of highlight this and, and thank John for his work over the years, helping to spread the word about the Irish and the European tech scene at large and what he really has done to make the European tech more accessible to the rest of the world. So thanks so much for your contribution and good luck for, for whatever is next for you, John. Yeah, I second that. Uh, I think uh, John has done a great uh, job writing about the Irish and uh, European tech. So good luck with everything. And I do hope that uh, Silicon Republic will uh, keep uh, being a great uh, source of information on uh, all things uh, technology. Now, let us talk about what uh, was going on uh, last week around Europe, and uh, I am going to talk about e-scooters, which I haven't uh, for quite a while. Uh, it's probably been um, a few months, I suppose, and uh, I do think that it's about time to give an overview of the latest developments in the space. So, of course, we're still seeing the new companies uh, mushrooming around every other week, uh, but it also seems like the cities are actually starting to wake up to some of the issues that are related to the so-called future of mobility. Now, let's start with Paris, uh, which has lately become one of the busiest markets uh, for uh, e-scooter companies. Uh, if you go there, you see loads of them on the roads. But last week, the city said that it is time to regulate the e-scooters more heavily, which was I would say about time, because according to TechCrunch, uh, the city has 12 e-scooter companies operating there, and there are 20,000 scooters on the Paris roads. 
Actually, of the 12 e-scooter companies, there are even two companies that are called the same. So they're both called Bolt, where one Bolt is the former Taxify one, and the other Bolt is uh, bought by Usain Bolt, uh, the runner. So this is the peak e-scooter in Paris for sure. So what, uh, what what's going on? What's going to happen? Uh, right now, you cannot uh, ride a scooter on the pavement in Paris, uh, but after the new restrictions come in force, you will also not be allowed to park the vehicle on the sidewalk. Actually, they say that you would need to find a car parking spot and leave your scooter there, which is kind of weird because, I mean, I do imagine that in Paris, like in uh, most other European capitals, it's really hard to find an empty parking spot. So are you supposed to put your e-scooter next to a car? Or uh, I'm not really sure how this is going to be enforced, and I'm not really sure that this has been thought through enough. But that's not it anyway. In addition to all this, e-scooters will now be banned uh, in all Paris parks. And uh, also the city wants to further limit the maximum speed of the vehicles. Uh, That's uh, going from uh, 25 kilometers per hour to 20 kilometers per hour. So it's not exactly clear how and when the new rules will be implemented. Uh, So we will keep an eye on this and give another update in uh, in a couple of uh, months, I suppose. So also, as I was preparing for uh, today's podcast and writing down the notes, I saw the sad news uh, coming from Paris. Uh, So a man uh, riding an e-scooter was hit by a truck and uh, died of his injuries shortly after uh, just uh, yesterday and this is of course uh, very tragic news and I do hope that the new regulations in Paris will help to reduce the number of accidents and this will be the last time that we have to mention something like this. But unfortunately there is actually more tragic news uh, from elsewhere in Europe that's related to e-scooters. Also in Sweden a man riding an e-scooter died less than two weeks ago after also colliding with a car and the local press uh, writes that that uh, the man was riding down from a hill at a high speed on a scooter by the Swedish company Voy, which is one of the pioneers of the space uh, in Europe. So after the accident, uh, the Swedish transport agency called for a full-fledged ban for all electric scooters uh, from the road. And uh, Hans Kassipier, an investigator for the agency, said the following, uh, I quote, Our judgment is that this is a vehicle which should not be on the road. It is something different. If it is to be used, it must meet the regulations for an electric bike. And if it doesn't, it should not be used in traffic. The quote ends. He also stressed, however, that it is now up to the police to decide whether to ban e-scooters or to impose stricter regulations or uh, do anything at all. And it's not uh, the Swedish transport agency that uh, can uh, do anything with it. At the same time, however, uh, Germany has just green-lighted e-scooters on the roads across the country. Uh, Last month, uh, Germany's upper house of parliament, the Bundesrat, adopted a proposal to approve the what it defines as electric propulsion vehicles uh, for road use. So now the e-scooters will be banned from the pavements uh, in uh, Germany and limited to 20 kilometers per hour, but allowed on the roads. Uh, Also, these scooters can only be used by people over 14 years old. So with the new regulation, I do see that Germany may actually become Europe's largest market for e-scooters, maybe after France. And I just do hope that the Germans will put the experience of other countries to good use and manage to avoid accidents on the roads as much as much as humanly possible. Andre, with any of these new regulations, have you seen anything about helmet laws or any sort of protective wear? 
I actually tried to research this. Uh, I had little time to do so. But as far as I understand, even if there is this sort of regulation, and I think in some countries you are actually required to wear a helmet, but I don't think it's being actually enforced. That's interesting. I would expect something like this to become a more more of a strict rule, of course, because, I mean, this sort of speed is uh, enough to get seriously hurt, even if you uh, just uh, fall on the ground and uh, injure your head. Because many of the American regulations kind of are requiring the use of helmets. A lot of cities are banning the e-scooters here. Uh, but what's interesting, I think that the debate in, in Europe about kind of speed, these are... Can, can have the potential to be very, very dangerous. Uh, last month, I, I had a chance to visit Bolt's headquarters in Tallinn in Estonia, and we had a chance to ride all of the e-scooters. And there was there was a bunch of us in our group, and some of us were um, taking the opportunity to ride basically as fast as possible um, with the e-scooter. And it, they do get up to quite a high speed, 20 kilometers an hour, it's pretty fast, especially if there's no protection. It's just you kind of standing on on this little plate with these two wheels. So it's a, it's a it's a very unique experience, I'd say. Yeah, I guess so. But also with the size of the wheels, uh, twenty kilometers per hour becomes much of a much more of a dangerous speed than, for example, on a bicycle. Because on a bicycle with large wheels, you don't really care about some small holes on the road, for example. But if a small wheel of uh, an e-scooter gets into uh, this uh, crack or whatever whatever there is, it can uh, it can be pretty bad. I mean, we're about to see what happens uh, anyway. But I do think that right now we're going to witness more sort of. Uh, clamping down on the safety rules uh, for this uh, kind of transportation across across Europe. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Now, what was about was it about subscription boxes? Are they still alive? Yeah, so there was a lot of interesting news last week, especially in fintech, where we learned that World Remit from London raised a $175 million Series D round. There's also tons of acquisitions last week, lots of action. But there was one kind of smaller story that caught my eye, which was a funding round of just over 5 million euros for a Danish beauty company called Goodie Box. And why it made such an impression to me was that Goodie Box is a subscription box company. And I was thinking that we haven't really heard much about subscription boxes lately, when a few years ago, it seemed like there was a new startup offering a subscription service. It was being announced every week. So I wanted to do a little bit of digging around and kind of see what was the story about subscription boxes now and what what's happening kind of um, in the in the current space. And to be honest, I, it was very hard. There hasn't really been a lot of writing about them. And earlier this year, Pitchbook put out a piece suggesting, quote, the subscription box service may someday become the icon of 2010's nostalgia, end quote. And while news on new entrants has cooled somewhat, the subscription box is far from dead from what I found. First, let's talk a little bit about Goodie Box. So they're based in Copenhagen, and they're aiming to have 150,000 subscribers and raise a 3.3 million euros in monthly revenue by the end of the year. So they've scaled successfully outside their home market to the Netherlands. They're also in Norway and in Belgium. But beyond their subscription box, they've diversified to their own direct-to-consumer makeup line, which is another growing trend we're seeing elsewhere around Europe, for example, with the Paris-based Typology, which launched in February. 
So subscription boxes are, have became popular in the wake of successful outings, such as Dollar Shave Club in the United States. Dollar Shave Club is a men's subscription razor club that quickly became a unicorn in the late 2000s, this early part of the 2000s. So according to data by PitchBook, the biggest boom in funding for subscription boxes happened between 2011 and 2016, tapering off a bit recently with fewer deals, but also much larger deals. So makeup and beauty products are one of the areas where subscription boxes remain the most popular. In 2017, Glossy Box, which was a clone of the U.S.-based Birch Box and launched by Rocket Internet in 2011, was acquired by the Hutt Group for an undisclosed amount of money. The company has really gone on to be very successful, but at the time of their acquisition, the company had raised $72 million. Birchbox, the American unicorn company, also competes in Europe with offerings in the UK, Ireland, Spain, and France. In Denmark, Goodiebox competes with another entrant called Felinas. But in the UK, I counted over 15 different makeup subscription offerings out there. And according to McKinsey Research, women are more likely to buy into subscription boxes than men are. They weren't totally sure why that was, though. What does it take to have a successful subscription box? Well, McKinsey finds the most successful companies tend to follow one of three paths. The first involves curation, such as companies like Outfittery that we spoke about last week, which offer personalized items based on individual preferences. The second is about replenishment. So including things like Dollar Shave Club and FFS, which is a London-based razor club for women. So things that you need to buy continually. And the third category is about access. So boxes providing exclusive deals or access to limited edition products. An example here is Scotland's own Vegan Kind Box, which is the most popular subscription box for vegans in the UK. Goodie Box is also an example of one of these access type models. But across Europe and in the United States, it seems that the launch of new subscription boxes has cooled somewhat compared to a few years ago. In the last year, there has been a few announcements about new companies in the in this space, but for successful offerings, they're going from strength to strength. Case in point, so the UK-based Butternut Box, which is a subscription for pet food, raised a 15 million pound in a recent round by Five Seasons Ventures and White Star Capital. They saw their revenues grow by 700% last year. In January, the meal delivery kit, Gusto, raised an additional £18 million in funding. But the market for these sorts of things remains tough. Germany's HelloFresh, which we've talked about on the podcast before, posted big losses last year despite big sales growth at the same time. At the end of March, Cockhouse, one of the first players in meal kit subscription boxes in Europe, filed for bankruptcy. So we're not seeing the demise of subscription boxes just yet, but what we're seeing is companies with this business model relying less on novelty and working really hard to find the right product market fit and to find a sustainable business. Overall, there's likely to be greater consolation in the market, as we saw with the news last week of the merger of Outfittery and Motomoto. So, Andre, are you subscribe to any of these subscription boxes or would you subscribe to any of them? No, I'm not. And uh, honestly, I was just thinking about it. <clears throat> so, I mean, I do understand that uh, we're in a in a bubble and in an echo chamber and whatever, but 
I don't know a single person who would have ever mentioned to me that they are subscribed to one of those boxes. So I don't really see, like for myself personally, of course, a lot of use in this, and I don't really see what sort of box uh, I would uh, I would like to subscribe to. I don't also use uh, razors for shaving, so I am uh, totally out of that category. So I'm, I'm not really sure. No, how about yourself? I subscribed to HelloFresh for a little while, several years ago, and we enjoyed it, but it, we got frustrated with the amount of excess packaging, the wastage, having to be there for the delivery driver when he arrived. Uh, it could just kind of became more, more hassle than it was worth. Um, and in terms of makeup subscription, I don't know if I would, I would use all of it, um, in, the kind of, if I was getting it all the time, it just seems like a, a lot of consumption, but some people seem to really like it. So, um, I was surprised to find that there is such a sustainability in this space and that so many companies are still making go of it with this business model. Speaking of the frustration of uh, having to be there uh, when the driver arrives, actually, I was just uh, uh, listening to some news podcasts uh, lately, and I uh, heard an interesting story that now, actually, I think Walmart, if I'm not mistaken, they want to solve this for you by having the delivery people to offload uh, the groceries straight into your fridge. So somehow uh, they would be granted access into your house and they would uh, wear a uh, body cam of sorts and then you would actually be able to see uh, whatever whatever's happened uh, when uh, they were in the house. Right. And there was that news earlier of Amazon being able to have a special key that they could come in and deliver directly in your house as well. Um, I don't know if that's going to take off. I know sometimes it's very hard at my house in the UK to even have the, the mail delivered because someone always has to let in the, in, in the postman. So I don't know if that's going to take off, but I mean, I'm open to seeing what, what happens next. Yeah, indeed. So maybe in the future, I will think about uh, certain boxes. I mean, maybe I will subscribe for a bi-monthly board game box, like surprise board game. That'd be cool. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Now, uh, let us move on with the agenda of today. And uh, the next one up is the interview uh, taken by Robin Wouters uh, with Caroline Ramad, the founder and CEO of 50 in Tech. Let's listen to it together. And uh, then we will continue with an event overview and a bunch of recommendations that we wanted to share today. Wouters here for TechEU. I'm still here at the massive uh, Viva Tech conference here in Paris. I'm here with Caroline Ramad, uh, who is one of the co-founders of uh, 50 in Tech. And I really, really want to make you say more about this for the podcast, because I think it's super interesting. So maybe just for the basics, what is 50 in Tech? So 50 in Tech is a fast-track app for women in tech and all those who want to build a smart gender equity for tech. We have a huge problem in tech, you know, about diversity, and we want to fix it uh, and reach 50% of women in tech through by 2050, thanks to the technology. All right, so we all know it's a big problem. We all know the statistics that it's really bad. The question is, how do you fix something like that? And a lot has been said uh, about this. There's lots of organizations, events, um, you know, forums. What do you do differently? What, what, what is your strategy to sort of fix this? So first, we, we are building a product. It's a platform, and we will have all the stakeholders of the innovation, incubators, accelerators, investors, operators, and corporates who want to diversify their pipeline. Actually, it's super hard 
to find the female founders and the women in tech. It's like um, you, you can find them because they are not at the conference, not in the social network world, and they have no recommendation. And that exactly how works the text now. So what we want to do is like building this amazing database of the best pipeline of female founders and women in tech all over the world. Our ambition is really global and we are all in English. And then having like this matching application to submit your challenge and to be connected to the right people. And we have already a lot of partners, Microsoft for startups, all the accelerators, incubators, and, uh, and uh, their funds. We have like Atomico, uh, we have tech community starter or big school such 42 school and uh, AXA, NG and Societe Generale. So we are already onboarding all the tech leaders of this company. They will provide resources and uh, we'll be really helpful with uh, like people like Roland Berger to do your market sizing. It's super interesting to have access in that. And, uh, and they will provide advantages to the community. So we'll have like a marketplace for them. We have like really a data-driven approach. Well, that's a lot of information. Um, just to get this right, it sounds to me like you're more making it to sort of a database and a matchmaking platform for women who are already in tech. Uh, do you also have a plan to sort of um, get more women into tech and maybe on, on the education side, uh, you know, create more opportunities for women to, to have a tech career? Yeah, in fact, we are working with the students of uh, school. So 42 School is our first partner because of that. They really want to attract more women in tech. And we will work about as many sessions with the, the global directors of PVG will explain exactly how it works. So we'll have like podcasts to explain how it's cool to work in tech. And we will connect them to the best tech leader and female tech leader uh, of all the global companies. So clearly we want to attract, but we, th we are thinking that we have a big problem about the retention and the promotion. And I think we have startup in the market. We have women in tech in this company, but 46% of the women in tech in Europe have experienced discrimination last year. So what we need to do is first working about the unconscious bias, working about sexism and fighting against ageism in tech. And then we will attract a lot of women in tech. The fact is that today, after their first experience, women in tech are leaving their job. So we can work about education. But if you arrive in a company and you have a lot of problems with sexual harassment and everything, you will leave tech and we will lose a lot of economic opportunity because this question of gender equity for tech, it's not a question of charity. It's an opportunity growth. It's 9 billion euros for Europe, for the GDP, you know, it could grow. It's really enormous and we are missing opportunities in terms of venture and investment. We are risking a lot of money because having like all male team with all male employees, you can be sure that in one year, you will have a problem with the first girls employee. So what we need to change is first, what we are doing now inside the company, uh, inside the venture capital, a lot, a lot of unconscious bias. Then we can attract because now they are living tech forever. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think what you're building is really, really nice. Can you also turn it into a business? Because now you rely a lot on partnerships. Do you think it could be a really good standalone business on its own? Yeah, it's uh, it's a serious business, 15 Tech, because we already sailed um, 160,000 euros in less than one month. And we are building a SaaS 
for the big companies such as Microsoft, you know, uh, that diversity inclusion is a huge problem. And this task will uh, uh, help the company to build like this internal and external network with an inclusive perspective. So with men, we need to involve men in this community and we will do. And uh, so we are raising 3 million starting from now to, to build this solution. And we are already talking with big companies to build this SaaS. Nice. Well, I think it's a fantastic initiative. Wish you all the best at the funding, uh, fundraising. And yeah, uh, how do you how are you experiencing Vivatech? Is it yeah. a good conference? It's my first time. So yeah. how's it for you? Yeah, I think Vivatech is really good for B2B. All the direct innovation directors, marketers here. So that's the only uh, really um, conference in Europe with all the people with money in the pocket. So you can do a great business here. And that is like amazing conference. But for me, it's like super interesting in terms of B2B approach. So if you are a startup in B2B, it's really the place to be in Europe. Fantastic. Caroline, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with 15 Tech. Thank you very much, Robin. Welcome back to the podcast of tech.eu. We have just listened to a great interview with uh, Caroline Ramad. I am uh, very fond of uh, what she's doing. And now it is uh, time to talk about uh, the upcoming events, probably some of the last events before the summer hibernation that we're facing to come soon. So, Natalie, what's, uh, what's coming up? Right. So June continues to be a great month of events. And I think a lot of things are happening in June because as, as you mentioned, over the summer, things tend to get quiet. And currently right now, Health Tech 2.0 is taking place in Helsinki. Later this week is the NOAA conference in Berlin and Saster is also going to be taking place in Paris. But next week, look to Amsterdam for the Cybersecurity and Cloud Expo, which is going from the 19th to the 20th of June. The conference will bring together over 10,000 cybersecurity professionals across key industries for two days of content on security, cloud, IoT, blockchain, AI, and big data. So if that's something you're into, have a look at our website for that. And then on Monday, Berlin hosts the second Chief Data Officer Exchange Europe, which will bring together senior level data leaders and vendors for business meetings, networking, and learning from some of Europe's top companies in the data space. And so it's a place to be for Europe's data professionals. And these are just a few things on the calendar. But if you're looking for more things to do this month, do check out the event section of our website with tons and tons of things to do. And of course, if you have a suggestion to add, please let us know at the link in the show notes. Thanks. This sounds great. Maybe I will actually come down to Amsterdam uh, next week <clears throat> to, to get some interviews with uh, cybersecurity uh, people at the event. Now, let us talk about the recommendations, so about things that we wanted to uh, share with the audience uh, that could be read or listened to or whatever or watched, uh, maybe. So my reading recommendation for today is a story on the Mail magazine, and it's titled, After 15 Years, the Pirate Bay Still Can't Be Killed. So it's a close look at the phenomenon of the Pirate Bay, uh, which is, uh, in case you missed it, a peer-to-peer file-sharing website uh, that that has survived lots of things over the past decade and a half, and it was uh, and it still is one of the biggest um, sort of enclaves of uh, piracy around the internet. So all three founders of the Pirate Bay, a uh, Swedish man, uh, they have all served jail sentences for operating the website, and now it seems that they're actually not involved in the Pirate Bay 
at all. But apparently the service is uh, being still operated by an anonymous crowd of diehard pirates who just keep putting up mirror websites faster uh, than they are shut down or blocked uh, by the governments or uh, internet service providers. So it seems like it has become a movement of sorts, which didn't quite happen with many other similar platforms like, I don't know, Kikas Torrents or Extra Torrents or any others. Uh, but right now, the Pirate Bay with the same uh, uh, pirate ship uh, and the uh, sails uh, on the logo is still out there and it's really easy to find all the dozens, uh, if not more, of uh, of the mirrors uh, around uh, online. So if you're interested in the story of uh, the Pirate Bay and what's going on there right now, Check out the piece to learn more, and I will leave a link uh, to in, in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds great. It's it's always exciting when people kind of take the law and kind of their own initiative in their own hands, and it's very compelling that Pirate Bay is still alive after all these years. Alive and kicking. So this week, I want to talk about event hacks. And every week on the podcast, I get to talk about some of the biggest and most exciting events happening in Europe and the places where you might want to go to share your startup or to learn from some of the biggest names in the industry. But when it comes to choosing events, there's tons of variables out there. And as we all have limited time, money, as well as different objectives of what we might want to get out of the event. But once you're there, how can you make the most of your time? This week, I wanted to share a little YouTube series with you, which is called Event Hacks, which is done by Ben Costantini, the founder of Startup Sesame. In this series, he has a number of kind of roughly two-minute videos about how to make the most of your time at events. So how to get your name out there, how to network effectively, how to get on stage, etc. So they're very quick, provide some really valuable food for thought and advice. And I think all of us can really benefit um, for a refresher on a number of these topics. So I encourage you to check those out, especially before we head into the last couple events of this month and then when the events start kicking up again in the fall. That's very interesting. I'm certainly going to watch it for myself. And uh, if you are going to watch this as well, uh, do let us know on Twitter or elsewhere uh, what tips uh, you like the most and what event hacks uh, you are, are using yourself so that we might uh, put together a short list uh, later in the podcast. Now, it is time to wrap it up for today. I do hope you enjoyed listening to us. Uh, if you're not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. And if you are listening on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show and will mean the world to us. Tell a friend or colleague about the podcast if it is relevant for them and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andri at tech.eu and Natalie at tech.eu. Natalie, thank you so much for joining today early in the morning. Enjoy your nature, your snow, your sun, and everything around. Thanks so much, Andri, and thanks for having me yet again. Thanks a lot for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we're going to talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>